everyone. Welcome back. This is Needed Conversations. Uh, this is Ryan and Victoria Cole. So glad that you joined us for today's episode as yes. we're continuing our conversation called Ask For Me and My House. Yeah, this has been a great series. Last week, we took a little break. Um, it was Father's Day. And so we, we celebrated the dads in our lives, and I'm one of them. So I was grateful for that time to spend with my family and uh, just celebrate all of the men. We hope you enjoyed the episode that we had on men. And uh, if you didn't listen to that episode, you need to go back and check it out after you listen to this one because it's, it's, it's long. It's about an hour and something, yeah. but it's power packed. So you can listen to it over time. It's got a lot of good information, especially if you are a father and maybe you didn't have the best uh, example in your life. It, it's a great episode for you. Um, and it's going to kind of flow into the conversation that we have today as we're talking about how to create rhythms in your home and how to establish your family in godly values. And that's really what it means when you say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Of course, that was something that Joshua said when really challenging the children of Israel before they were to step into the promised land. Are you going to repeat the unrighteous behavior of all of the previous generations worshiping idols or are you going to set a new course? And every single one of us have a, has a decision to make when it comes to our family. And, and some of us were raised in Christian homes or with godly values. And we're going to carry on and multiply those generational blessings. But a lot of us are having to break generational curses, even those of us who were raised in Christian families. There are still curses that we're breaking, cycles that are being reversed and we're deciding to serve the Lord in a greater capacity. So we're excited about this conversation, but before we do, why don't you tell them where they can find out all the information they need to on, uh, you know, how to build better marriages and family resources, etc. Yeah. You can go to our website called moremostforever.com. You can check out all of our resources. We have books, we have e-courses, uh, we have some free resources and free material that you can receive via your email or a free download. Um, we have a lot of different things that we've been doing throughout this year, including workshops and also revival nights for marriages. And it's what we what is needed. It's really needed uh, for us to get back to the foundation of um, having strong families because those are the things that are going to build strong communities and return strong nations. And so that's what we are focusing on. But you can check us out at moremostforever.com. You can also become a partner. Um, no amount is too little. You can partner up with us with a monthly donation or you can give us a one-time gift. Anything helps for us to be able to do this kind of stuff like our podcast and also um, create some other material that is coming your way this year as well. Absolutely. Well, let's jump into this conversation. Uh, we're talking today about parenting and in particular how you and your spouse can build a, a great and effective parenting strategy together, um, which is going to be important as you co-labor together on, with a common mission, mm -hmm. right? And that what you do, even if you have separate careers, that you don't live in silos and, and operate as individuals anymore. You're one flesh now. But even more so, your family unit, you're a team. Mm -hmm. And until your 
your children are grown and they step and, and they get married, they step out on their, their own, um, you operate as a force mm-hmm. together. Yes. I love this uh, phrase, oh, this quote that I saw on social media. I forgot who it was from, but it said uh, to all of the men out there, when you get married and when you have your first child, you have immediately become a pastor to a congregation of two. But the, the, the core of that statement is that we have a pastoral responsibility to steward the life of our children. And in particular, we've come out of a generation through a manufactured church, mega church. Um, and I use mega church not to uh, describe numbers necessarily because I think it's biblical that we see large numbers in gatherings and but I think it's also equally important that we have that that table time where we're breaking bread from house to house and we're truly involved in that discipleship process but when I say mega church I'm talking about the last decades probably from the early 80s up until 2010, when we experienced sort of this a corporatized worship experience. And by and large, we saw the, this, the uh, segregation of ministries by ages, which there are some logistical reasons for that. And certainly, we need children's ministry. But I think that we gave the raising of our children educationally to whatever school, public school they were enrolled in, and we gave over their spiritual growth to the children's ministry of whatever church we attended. And uh, I think that was the big downfall because we were uninvolved in, in the spiritual growth of our children, and by and large, we ourselves were not as mature as we could be as believers and I'm talking about the generation that experienced that from early 80s until the 2010s. Um, I don't know. Victoria, jump in. What, what do you think about that? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's so true that we kind of kept everything segmented and separated instead of finding ways to connect the families together and teach them how to work collaboratively. Um, I think those times are important for you to be, you know, with the same gender so you can learn certain things, but I think it's very important for people to see the family dynamic. I think you're talking about men's ministry, men's ministry, women's ministry, ministry, children. I think that that's what the older generation should be doing is passing the baton. And that's showing the way for the younger generation, because I think I hear a lot of complaining on the behalf of the older generation that this younger generation is weird. They're not getting it. They're disrespectful, but I think it's because it's not passed down. If you really want, you know, your children to have honor and respect, it has to be taught in the home. We've said Mm -hmm. it so many times that your children will not do what you tell them to do. They will do what you are doing. So you can drill to them. You can put them in uh, vacation Bible school and kids camp and all that stuff. But if they come home and that's not your lifestyle and that's not what you guys have as values set, it's more than likely your kids are not going to carry that into their adulthood. And I think it's an importance that God has called us, and the scripture says raise the uh, young young uh, in the way of the Lord, and they will not depart from it. And I think that that's the responsibility uh, that falls upon us as parents to raise them up in the way of the Lord so that whenever they do 
come across challenges and they become adults, they don't struggle. And I think that that's what we're doing right now. A lot of us are unraveling the, um, uh, the, the non-participation, I guess, of our parents in our lives. It was always do this, do this. It was just like this list of rule book instead of like, I'll show you the way. And this is what has really helped me. Um, and this is why this is valuable. And I think that that's just so much more effective parenting to where now you're going to have a wholesome adult that grows up and is able to do the same thing for their children and even better. Now, I want everyone to hear me correctly. I am a product of a youth ministry that radically changed my life. And I had a youth pastor, Pastor Tim Bouton, shout out, um, who is still in our lives. And who you know, married us. Who married <laughs> us, all of those things. And, and, and he was one of the key people to help disciple me. I grew up in a Christian home. My parents uh, traveled singing gospel music, and then there was a period of time between 9 to 15 when we were out of church. We moved away from South Carolina, where, we, uh, where I was raised mostly, and during that period, my parents were kind of uh, disheartened with church as a whole, and so we were out of church, and it was at 15, at a youth ministry, that I encountered God for myself. And it wasn't just the religion of my grandparents and my parents. And so, you know, I applaud youth pastors, but my youth pastor had a tenure of, I think it was by the time I was there, it was like 13 years. And in all, I think he spent 20 years maybe in youth ministry. And it was never his in endeavor to become a pastor necessarily. Whereas the average tenure of a youth pastor in the local church is like two years, the same with a worship pastor. And so a lot of people are using the youth pastor role as a stepping stone and, and they aren't necessarily called to youth and, and, and being able to dedicate their lives for that extended amount of time. So I think that I was uh, sort of an outlier when it comes to uh, that kind of youth ministry experience. And I know people's lives who are changed by you. You might be out there listening and can testify to that as well. But I think it's also important, even more so, really, for you to see your parents serving God and, mm-hmm. and your grandparents serving God. That church isn't just this little uh, aspect of our lives, you know, one day a week or, but it's something that is fully integrated in everything that we do, that it's a part of our family culture, that in our family, we pray. In our family, we value honesty. In our family, we uh, hold close to us the fruit of the spirit. And we want to see that evident in all of our lives. And so, uh, I think that, yes, it's important that we have children's ministry, women's ministry, men's ministry, youth ministry, all across the board, but that cannot take the place of a relationship with God that is center in your family as a whole. You need an individual relationship with God and a devotional life, 
And then together as a family, you need to be talking about the things of God. You need to be you need to be reading the Bible together. You need to be asking the tough questions and then excavating the scripture to find those answers. And we don't need to be uh, intimidated by the questions that our kids have about God or spirituality. And we don't always need to have the answers. Our job as pastors, as parents, stewarding the lives of our kids is not to tell them what to believe necessarily, but to teach them how to uh, find God and pursue his presence and and teach them how to hear the voice of God and teach them how to rightly divide the word of truth and open up the Bible and how do you read the word in context and how do you instill these disciplines in your life and if you give them these values, then they're going to be able to find the truth for themselves. Right. And it's not just going to be, I believe X, Y, and Z because my parents told me so, or because I learned it in Sunday school, but because I encountered it in a real and tangible way myself. I remember at 15 years old, you know, hoarding myself up in my room and laying on the floor and praying for hours and worshiping God. There was just something in me that desired the presence of God. And it was because I could feel generational faith flowing through me. I remember uh, experiencing my grandparents and parents in church and and them having an encounter with God. And it's even told to me that when I was like three or four that I would stand on the, the, the front row of the church and be weeping in the presence of God. And that was because that was ingrained in us. It was a part of our culture. And and when I became older and had my own experience with God at 15, I could feel the legacy of faith running through my veins. You know, when I think about Timothy, one of the, the important things that is mentioned is his mother and his grandmother um, who prayed for him fervently. And Paul mentions it and said, I I recognize that your mother and your grandmother instilled these values in you when you were a young man. And so that's why you can't offload your kid's spiritual growth to the church. That has to be supplemental, Mm -hmm. right? But they have to receive the the true uh, culture of faith at home from the moment they wake up to the moment that they lay their head down at night. Yeah, so often we've been talking about this so much about marriage being the tabernacle of God's glory. And I think that you uh, as um, you know, husband and wife creating that atmosphere of freedom um, and you know, in the scripture it says where the spirit of the Lord there is liberty. And I think when you create that atmosphere where your children can experience the presence of God without having to even step in to the the church doors. You know what yeah. I'm saying? And they when they experience it, there's no shame, there's no guilt, there's no condemnation. Uh, because they're gonna be at liberty and they feel that freedom and the truth is going to be radiating through it. Um, I think so often a lot of us have experienced, you know, spiritual, um, uh, I guess, spirituality through a religious rule book, like you have to do this, this, and this. So we see God as this uh, judge and that if you, we do something wrong, we've always, we've been told that God will punish us. And I think that that's just not the, the picture that we should be painting for our children. Again, if we as individuals have a relationship with God and then we are working together to be the host of God's presence and glory in our marriage, 
then we are creating this atmosphere for our children to uh, experience this for themselves, like Ryan was saying. It's not necessarily that we're just giving this rule book to them, but it's something that they're going to experience for themselves, and they're going to want to carry that with them throughout their life. Because whenever you know the truth, the truth sets you free. And you're, you just see the difference between experiencing the life of, you know, being led by the spirit and not. So, yeah. One of the things, um, that I, I, um, I'm not sure if we mentioned it in the episode, two episodes back, the episode about men was uh, kind of the statistics out there about how evangelicals pass on their faith in comparison to other, uh, faith groups like Jewish people or even Amish people who are, are by and large are Christians, but they wouldn't, they wouldn't fall within the evangelical Christian category. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Jewish community and uh, Amish community, the statistic of, of people who carry on that faith is upwards of like at least 70 to upwards to 90% of the time they will choose to remain in that community of faith when they become adults. And in evangelical Christianity, it's like 35%. And it's a a big gap. And and you have to ask yourself these questions. What is it that sets those people apart? And um, there's a couple of things, in particular for men, but also for women. In evangelical Christianity, there's not any sort of rite of passage there isn't any instilling of values that culminate in this um, transition from childhood to adulthood or boyhood to manhood, like you see in the Jewish community with bar mitzvahs and bat mitzvahs, and then the Amish community, and then all of these other uh, communities of faith, you see this transitional period. We're missing that in the church, like to be able to pour the word of God into our kids to a certain age. And then the leaders of a community gather around them. Like when my son becomes a certain age, I want him to know the word. And I want the men in our family and in our faith community to surround him and lay our hands on him and proclaim he's a man of God Mm -hmm. and ask that the Lord fill him with the spirit and that he doesn't look for validation or identity from any other external place that by the time he becomes a man that he says, I know who I am because my father told me, I know who I am because I've been affirmed by these uh, great pillars of faith in my community. And the same with my daughter. Um, I don't think it's just male exclusive, although I think those rites of passage, you know, are a little bit uh, gender specific, but I think both you know, whether they're boys or girls, they need that that transitional push. And I think that's what will help them sustain their faith when they go off to college. Why do so many kids, when they exit youth group, they graduate high school and they go to college, they lose their faith? And what is a popular phrase now? Deconstruction. Mm-hmm. It's a phrase of progressive Christianity, which by and large is not progressive. It's regressive, you know. Should we question and seek truth? Absolutely. But there's a reason why it's so easy for a young person when they're in college to sort of abandon their faith altogether. It's because it was never adopted as their own. It was always just a segmented part of their life that they go to church 
and it's a weekly experience. But then guess what? A lot of parents put even more emphasis on a traveling sports team as they did making sure that their kids were experiencing God and in a community mm-hmm. of faith and our priorities, you know, were spread. And it's not to say your kids shouldn't be involved in all these extracurricular activities, but they've got to be rooted in faith primarily. They've got to be discipled and they've got to be able to to ask hard questions and and know how to pursue the truth and find the truth and rightly divide the truth. You know what I mean? Yeah, and you know, we've talked from majority of the episode here about, you know, the foundational steps, I guess, to parenting that it falls on you as a parent and you as a team, as a husband and a wife, uh, to steward the gifts that God has given to your children. And, you know, we did the episode with you did with Michael and he talked about courageous men and it's a great episode for a female to listen to because I think it really <clears throat> excuse me displays what a strong man actually looks like yeah. with vision and values and what he can offer to the family that he is to lead and like you guys were saying that men do lead first and God you know puts this big responsibility upon you guys and then the following week, we talked about um, uh, a friendship, and it was an interview with Chris and Jamie Bailey, and they are Christian counselors. And what I've noticed about them is that they really had a great relationship together, and it was a good friendship. And I think it's impossible to parent um, in a good way if you guys are not good friends. And I think that that's what we really see lacking in a lot of marriages is that I think that we start off as friends. We are, you know, really intrigued by one another. We love to date. We want to go on dates. We want to do what your, you know, your spouse does. Um, We're interested in it. And then somehow we get into this rut and then our kids come along and we're no longer interested. And somehow we start kind of growing apart. And I think it's so important for us to make sure that um, you know, our personal relationship with God is good. And then, of course, we cultivate and are intentional with our relationship with one another because yeah. we do grow as individuals. Like, I, I know so many people say, well, we have changed. We have become two different people. And, of course, <laughs> like every day that you, you know, wake up, you are going to experience new experiences. And that, of course, is going to shape you. And yeah. you're either going to become better or you're going to become bitter. And um, if you are not intentional in pursuing your spouse through all the transitions of life, you are going to completely grow apart. And then, of course, when it comes to children, it's going to be very difficult to parent and agree upon things when you don't really necessarily have a friendship together. And then everything kind of that they do now is kind of irking you. Mm. So that's a great episode that we... um, uh, had with the Baileys as well. So you guys should go listen to that if you are struggling with a friendship or building a good friendship with your uh, spouse um, because that's really going to help you also parent well. I think that lends to what I was saying about the church becoming uh, like corporatized. Yeah. Um, with the same thing, with the same model that we saw in the church, we kind of built at home too, right? We run our family sort of like a, a corporation, and, and that's kind of this American ideal that is, that is not really rooted in um, our faith as Christians, which is individualism, mm-hmm. right? I think that that idea of individualism, especially in our families, 
is uh, kind of what breaks down the culture in a home. I think we have to understand that we are a part of a whole. And then we are a part of a bigger whole as a fa- our family is integrally connected to other families as a part of a, a community. Mm-hmm. And so in the same way that we would go in and out of church because it was so big and it was performance oriented and, you know, we would be able to come and go and have no meaningful relationships, but yet feel like we were able to check the box off of religion you know, the same thing is with our families. Our kids are like ships passing in the night. We don't have meals together. You know, we don't understand the power of the table. We even have watched a lot of shows recently, not just recently, but, you know, like many of you, we love HGTV. And you sort of see in the renovation process kind of this phenomenon that has taken place, and I think that it's starting to be reversed a little bit now which was the elimination of the dining room and sort of this embracing of this open floor plan. Like in in the 1940s and 50s and 60s, your homes were set up, at least in America, and it was segmented. You had your living room, you had your, your kitchen, you had your dining room, you had your bedrooms. Um, and there may have been a flow to the house, but there was this segmentation and that there was a purpose for each space. And now in our modern times, everybody wants the open floor plan. And I understand the logistics of that, but I also understand kind of the downfall of not putting an importance on a dedicated space for sitting at a table and breaking bread with your family and talking Mm -hmm. uninterrupted by distractions, right? And the reason why that open floor plan is not necessarily the best idea. I think you can have those spaces, right? Like an eat-in kitchen that flows into the living room or whatever. Um, But then you end up having the TV on in the background. Or you end up having your work mingled into that. And then it's all, you like when you come into the house, you throw things on the table where, you know, you're eventually going to eat. And instead we should say, this is our place of, of communion together where we sit and we have these conversations we grow together we put away the distractions we eat we fellowship we have real talk mm-hmm. and and like we've said in previous episodes your table becomes the altar that that word was synonymous in in the bible whenever it referred to an altar it literally referred to a table the table of the lord and so i think it's important to bring the dining table back to our families and mm-hmm. and take away the corporate nature of how we've structured family and bring back that intimate fellowship. But that starts, as Victoria says, with you and your spouse, developing that friendship, making sure you have that face-to-face time, making sure that you are intentional, even in the midst of everything going on. And we're, we're, we're having to do the same. We have to constantly, as our life gets filled with all of these things, we have to stop and say, wait a minute. Yes, we're busy. Yes, we're quote-unquote productive, but we're losing us. We're losing sight of this kind of intimate relationship. And if you're not sort of uh, developing an intimacy with your spouse and with your children, that everything is going to feel like rules and regulations. Yeah. And that's, you know, what they say, uh, rules without relationship equals rebellion. And a lot of times we want our kids to, to 
to live by the law that we set in the house, but we have no relationship with them to understand where they are in their development and the challenges that they're facing and how to walk them through it and, and not bend or, or uh, you know, the, the, the laws that that we hold in our house, like our value system, but help them to move with those values, with an understanding of what process of development they're going through, or the challenges and struggles, and and so on. You know what I mean? Yep. You know, I I have to say that every time we have these conversations, you know, and directly saying, you know, let's focus, you know, how how to collaborative work with, you know, your job, your career, your children, your parenting. I think of constantly. Uh, one thing that I think that has helped us in our relationship, and that's having a mission. And having a marriage with a mission has really helped us to communicate, has really helped us to build a strong family dynamic, has really helped us to incorporate our children in that mission, um, and also uh, make sure that we are setting aside time for our marriage and uh, being intentional, um, you know, we do a workshop called Marriage with a Mission, and I feel like that that has transformed a lot of couples' lives because it has clarified so many different areas in a marriage that can seem like a rule book, like Ryan was saying, like where it's just so regimented and you just kind of like, well, I know how my, hus- my husband or my wife is going to respond to this, so we're just going to like go with the flow. Happy wife, happy life, instead of really building a relationship and having – meaningful conversations and making sure that you guys are at your optimal. Um, And of course, like Ryan said, we do hit those places of, uh, you know, times where we get so busy, we're like, wow, I just feel so disconnected. And I feel like we're not going anywhere. And we have to reevaluate again, and we have to go back. And what really helps us get back in position is the mission statement. Like, what have we agreed to do this year or what is our goal for five years, 10 years, 15 years? And is this something that is contributing to our overall, overall vision or is this a distraction, even if it's a good thing? And so I think even in a matter of parenting, having a mission for your, um, a mission, a mission, having a mission for your marriage will really help you to uh, show your kids too. You know what is a goal-oriented family dynamic looks like, and how to work together as a team. Yeah, and a mission isn't really what you're going to do. The what stems from the bigger question, which is why. Why have we been put here on the earth, and why have we decided to get married? Our purpose. Yeah. What is our purpose together? And then you can ask the question of, okay, now how is this going to be executed? But, you know, you can't even begin to put your feet to the ground and run towards something if you don't know why you're doing it. And so that's what keeps us grounded and keeps us um, in engaged in those tough conversations. I think when whenever your your marriage and your family is in neutral, you are avoiding the tough conversations because you just don't want to have it. A lot of times you are discontent, you're frustrated, you're fatigued, and the thought of having those conversations when you don't have a why uh, can feel very defeating. Yeah. But we don't have the fear and having a challenging conversation and both of us having to step away 
and look inward and take personal responsibility for what we haven't been doing because we have a why. It's not mm-hmm. it's not intimidating for us to look in the mirror because we can say, okay, here's our why. Let's get us back on track. And the same thing is with your parenting. When you understand why you're together, then parenting becomes easy, and your kids will 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 fall in line easier because they see that you're you're doing it together, and it's not one of you. Uh, who's instilling these these values and disciplining the children? It's both of you as one united front. One of the things that uh, really puts a wrench in in uh, couples' parenting strategy is the fact that one person always feels like that they end up becoming the bad cop, and then another person feels like that they're the good cop, and it's because they're they're not on the same page. I don't think that that one or the other should be the primary disciplinarian. We we fully believe that, I, I think that men hold a sort of weight and authority even in the timber of our voice, and I recognize that. But in terms of discipline, we are both applying the pressure together. And when I'm away, she's setting certain uh, values. And when I come home, I'm reinforcing those. And we both, you know, if our child comes to us and says, can I do so-and-so? My first response is, have you already asked your mom? What did she say? I'm not going to give a different response than your mother gave you. Or I know for a fact you start learning these little games that your kids will play because they are very smart mm-hmm. and they will work the puzzle pieces. And if you and your spouse have not talked, it's going to be a crack in that foundation and those kids are going to know exactly where to wiggle their way in and, and divide and conquer, so to speak. It, it's very imperative that you talk, you talk continually. What did you guys do today? You know, Mila said such and such, and I told her such and such. I need your help with such and such. This is what I told her. So that when the next day comes and my daughter comes to me and says, can I do X, Y, and Z? I'll say, your mom already talked to me about that, and this is the decision we've made together. Yeah, um, and that actually, like, offloads the load of one person having to feel like that they're doing all the disciplinary action um because when you have that open communication again like ryan said like oftentimes we're at the end of the day we're like are we bad parents like have we done this wrong like what are we doing wrong in the situation and i think it's that open communication where we kind of wrestle with what maybe the strategy that we could use to approach our child in a better way to teach them a a better technique or a strategy where they don't keep repeating the same cycle again and again and again, and we get frustrated as well. So keeping that line of communication open with your spouse, maybe when your kids go to bed, um, or maybe in the privacy, you know, addressing certain things that each one of your child children is experiencing and how you can better approach that is really going to help you to um, just have a better parenting technique. And as we're watching our children grow older, We've recognized that we have to be pliable because that parenting strategy is going to have to adjust to accommodate this new age and stage of their development and how smart they have become, you know. I where, mean, where the spelling of a word no longer works. <laughs> right. I mean, that's just a small little example of one strategy that might work. You might used to be able to spell to each other, um, uh, but that's just a humorous example 
to show you that you have to change with the times. And plus, there's so many external forces that are being thrust upon our kids. The challenges that we're facing in raising our children, our parents didn't have. I mean, we we didn't have social media until we were all pretty virtually adults. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I might have been in my 20s before I really was in the face. I think before that, it was like MySpace or something. But it wasn't like it is today. And now our children are growing up with this technology, you know. Um, but you have to agree on what your parenting strategy is going to be in every phase. And Victoria and I have these moments where, you know, we disagree or we're we're wrestling and saying, you know, one of our kids is really struggling and I'm concerned. And, you know, what are we doing wrong? What could we be doing better? And then one of us will have an aha moment and say, you know, I think it's this. You know, we pray and uh, uh, I'll say, you know, I really think it's this. And I can know that this is a, an area that we've let slip and I think we need to tighten this up and we'll apply a new strategy and, and see if it works. And, and you know, it's not like our kids are guinea pigs, but essentially they are. I mean, we've never parented before and you have to trust the leadership of the Holy Spirit and your ability, your prophetic nature as a parent to be able to steward the gift inside of them. And to add to that is that you want to make sure that you have follow through. And that's ex- extremely important for, I think, the first five years of their life. Um, I think it gets a lot easier if you've already established a lot of uh, rules of what they can and cannot do. Um, as a young child, I think it gets a lot easier because I think that they'll uh, kind of fall in line with it a lot better um, when you do have that follow through with what you agree upon as a as parents yeah and you know one of those things uh, i think victoria and i as we end out this episode kind of uh that we've struggled with we grew up in kind of different environments obviously she's ukrainian and i was born in america um but victoria by and large did not have kind of the entertainment uh experience that i had as a child I mean, I grew up with Disney movies and Star Wars, and my 10-year-old birthday was a Star Wars-themed birthday, and my dad was obsessed with Indiana Jones, and and I just loved art and cinema and all of those things, and Victoria, um, her dad was adamant about not having any of that in their lives. I mean, obviously, she saw movies and when she was older. He was very big about National Geographics, and it was translated. Either that so or the Gaithers. The Gaithers. The Gaither vocal bands. <laughs> so it was very, um, very uh, censored, monitored, um, not in a bad way. In a lot of ways, I respect that parenting strategy. But I also know that cinematography and art and technology – is a gift as well, you know. I, I think when you look at Ezekiel, he was a very artistic, prophetic voice. I mean, he would do these pantomimes and these prophetic demonstrations. And I think that that we are storytellers, as it's evident in the Bible, and we should have an outlet, a creative space to be able to tell our stories as well, and just the human experience, and I love all of that. But we have wrestled at times with what should we allow our kids to consume as it relates to media. We don't want our kids raised on TV, but we also want them to experience excellence in art. And there are times even when the values have not aligned with some of these companies like Disney or Netflix or that we have had to make the decision. Like when Netflix crossed the line 
uh, a few years ago with some programming that kind of exploited children. We made the decision to cancel our Netflix subscription. I know a lot of people who did it in the moment and restarted their Netflix subscription a couple months later or whatever. We have not. We made that decision and we said, as for me and my house, this is the standard. And now we're even having to make that as it relates to Disney. Um, Even though I love Disney movies and I understand that there are some uh, things, you know, there's all kinds of things we could talk about that we don't want our kids. There are certain movies that we don't allow them to watch and others that we do. We have to monitor that. It's not just a free-for-all for our kids. But even when it comes to this recent movie that has really bombed at the box office, the mm-hmm. Buzz Lightyear, because our kids have loved Toy Story, mm-hmm. and my son in particular loved Buzz Lightyear. But uh, I always check in on the movies before I, I let my kids see them for the most part and discovered that there was a, a lesbian couple in the new Buzz Lightyear movie. And I at first... I was like, okay, we're adamantly not going to watch that. But then the other part of me was like, you know, art is an expression of real life. And there are lesbians and gay couples that our kids are going to see and going to encounter. And I would rather me have that conversation with my kid instead of trying to cover their eyes and make them feel, make make it out like it doesn't exist, so to speak. And uh, I want to have them to have those conversations. And so I was actually going to take my kids to see the movie despite that and say, you know what, um, that's something that I, that I think that could be a, a valuable conversation, but I want them to experience excellence in cinematography and animation and all of this sort of stuff. But then what actually was the line that crossed for me is when I read even deeper into the storyline with this new movie and the fact that that they positioned this couple as sort of this inspirational figure in the entire storyline of Buzz Lightyear, that Buzz Lightyear somehow is inspired by this lesbian couple. And that was the point where they moved beyond representation, which is it's a reality that gay, gay couples exist, into we are elevating this as of equal value and importance as a heterosexual couple, uh, as marriage is defined by the Bible as one man and one woman, and that was the the wrestling that we've had in sort of those sort of in those movies. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And for me, that was the line that was crossed. And what we've decided to do instead of that is look to invest in Christian filmmaking. And I saw this movie, David. Mm -hmm. It's an animated movie that's being developed by Angel Studios. And they are seeking investors, you know, for that. And we're going to invest, you know, as a family to see that that movie is created and on par with the Moanas and the Tangleds and the Frozens of our day so that our kids can, you know, hear the stories of the Bible, but through an excellent cinematic experience. And they're not compromising their values. We've had to have those conversations. Every family's lines are going to be different. I think it's age-specific. But I also think that in parenting our children, sheltering them and trying to keep their eyes covered from everything is not necessarily the best approach either. I don't want my kids to grow older and say, 
my dad never talked to me about this. And then somebody else tells them. Like, for us, our parents really never had the sex talk with us. Mm-hmm. And so we discovered it in other places. You know, and th- it was not in a good way. Right. And that's a lot of people's experiences. And it brings a lot of shame and guilt and just makes you feel filthy. And it's just, that's not the way that it should be. I think your family should be a safe place for you to understand what is God's design for these things and what's the purpose of them and why you should abstain and when is it, you know, should be experienced and um, how God designed it to be. So, yeah, I I totally agree that I think we need to have those lines of communication open. And, again, I think it starts from you as, you know, wife and husband, making sure that you have those intentional conversations. And like Ryan said, Honestly, your dinner table is your best bet to have those times of conversation and and know, we've had intense questions. conversations. Yeah, where asking questions about your kids. She has been an adamant no, and I've been an adamant yes. Yeah, and we've had to come in the middle and say, you know, this is the reasoning behind what our strategy is, and and sometimes I can be hard nosed, and I have to lean into her discretion. And say, man, I hate that my kids are going to miss out on X, Y, and Z. But it's just, you know, we have to take a stand. Halloween is another one of those conversations. Um, because it's all around us. Movies, television programs. And at the end of the day, it comes down to what do you value? And then we make an investment in those areas where we value so that our kids can experience the best of art and adventure and life in general, but at the same time, understand what our family's values are. So I don't think that you have to be sort of a head-in-the-sand type of parent, right? You can be in the reality of the world that we live in. That's literally what I was about to say. Be in the world, but not of it. Right, (laughs) but don't be consumed by it. Don't allow it to get in you. Be in the eye of the storm while it's going on around you and be centered in your faith. Um, but I think this is a good conversation. We could talk about parenting yeah, for days. I think we have even more notes, but we're going to close off on that because it, it it literally, like, you could just have continue having conversation about this because there's just so many different things and through different stages, you know, you'll have to address kids in a different way and every kid is different and every family dynamic is different so you can you know throw out all these tips and tricks but i think the biggest thing that we can encourage you guys to to do is to build a strong value uh have strong values in your family that you pass on to your children because no other uh, person and entity is going to be of such importance as your family um your children will carry those values from generation to generation if you know you're going to lean on god for wisdom and direction um to steer your children in the way of, uh, in raising them in the way of the lord and help them to discover their purpose so when they do grow up older they don't depart from those ways that's right well thank you for joining us for this conversation today make sure you check out more mostforever.com for all your marriage resources we've got blogs books uh coming to a city near you we're working on new york we're working on california uh we're going up north into the west with our marriage revival tour so stay tuned for all of that wonderful information and uh we'll see you next week for another episode of needed conversations god bless